what's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for today. Uh, we have an international episode. We don't have these very often, but uh, this was a very, very good eye-opening informational episode. Uh, RTS coach, 76 kilo lifter, Gabby Mueller joined us, and Steve and I... You guys know we talk a lot about the IPF, USAPL, some of the politics that are involved in it and our frustrations with it. And we always would like European lifters kind of share their experiences with this because it feels like it just us talking about it, um, which doesn't give you the best uh, story or the best actual image or an accurate image of what's taking place. So Gabby actually reached out to us and wanted to come on the show and give her experience because... She was directly involved in some politics in Europe, and uh, it's quite eye-opening and also uh, an unfortunate experience she had to deal with, um, especially a person who is clearly passionate about powerlifting. You're going to hear in the episode how passionate she is about powerlifting and passionate about coaching and really just wants to make a career out of it. So um, she goes through just... The issues she's had, you know, in her um, home nation of Luxembourg, moving to uh, Belgium, and just kind of the issues that we are seeing, and hopefully they're fixed, and that's why we do these podcasts. So hopefully, um, go in the right directions and getting these things fixed. But uh, it was a great episode, and also Gabby is a coach, um, experienced competitor, so we were able to have a pretty good discussion just about the differences of cultures between the United States. Europe, kind of the marketing is coaching, um, branching out to get more clients. It was it was just a fantastic episode from Gabby. Hopefully, um, can have her on again sometime. She definitely fits the uh, fits the mold for a two white lights guest. But uh, yeah, fantastic episode. Um, a lot of really good information here. But before we get into episode, definitely go to Leftlar Bros. Use that promo code two WL fifteen. Go to LoveLoveBros.com, follow them on Instagram, get the best powerlifting merchandise there is. They're a proud sponsor of Two White Lights. The episode wouldn't be possible without Left Love Bros. Make sure you guys go there, get some merch, use that promo code 2WL15. Also, subscribe to Two White Lights on Spotify, leave a five-star rating there. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and a review, and also go to TwoWhiteLights.com, leave a review, or not leave a review, eh, I'm getting all of them mixed up. Get some merchandise on 2whitelights.com, and also you can subscribe there and listen to the podcast. And without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. Oh, baby, I like it, bro. We are here doing a very rare international Two White Lights episode. I have with me RTS coach, 76 kilo competitor, Gabby Mueller. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've am i been very hesitant to come on this podcast 
um, we've talked about it before because uh, yeah, I reached out and uh, there have been many occasions in the past three years because we're going to talk about a situation that's been going on for three years uh, at least. So there have been many occasions where I wanted to talk about this in public, but I've been very hesitant. So here we are. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we mentioned it on a T.Y. Lights podcast, um, and, and we're obviously going to jump right into it. Uh, we have our critiques on the IPF, and USAPL for that matter, and WRPF, and USBA. We critique all federations, we praise all federations as well, but one of our one of the things Steve and I talked about was, like, there's not a lot of European lifters who talk about what's going on in the IPF, and we would really like that, because... It's me and Steve doing a lot of it, and we're both American lifters who are not a part of the IPF. So it's, could, it could be accused of talking out of our ass, but we do have someone who's you know here uh, you know, from the IPF and is going through, I would call it a unique issue. Would that be fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would say that, yeah. Well... I can obviously only talk about my own experience. Um, I am from Luxembourg, so that is a very small country. And based on what I've experienced so far with other countries, like every country has their own federation, different uh, systems applied. So it's a bit different everywhere. Um, Yeah, the reason why I've been so hesitant on talking about this is because my experience so far in Luxembourg hasn't been let's say the best. Um, I'm very involved in powerlifting, like it consumes the majority of my life. So I love the sport. I really live for the sport. And it's important for me to know that uh, for everyone else, that if I'm going to talk about this, by no means I want to shed any bad light on the sport. I do believe that like some things are important to talk about, however, like it's, it's an uncomfortable situation for sure. So but, but it's important to talk about it. And I know that um, we don't have a lot of lifters in Luxembourg because we don't even have a million of, um, of residents in Luxembourg. So I think we have like 800,000 people that live there. So we don't even have 100 lifters in Luxembourg uh, in the Federation. And I know that everyone has a different kind of experience. There are people that, that currently are in Luxembourg involved in the Federation that have a pretty good experience and I don't want to take this away from them. Mm-hmm. I'm just here to talk about my experience um, and also the experience of some other lifters uh, that have been uh, involved in this. And, uh, yeah. So. yeah. Well, well, take us through it. because I, I will, First, I do like the approach that you're taking. Um, and... It's going to be a lot of education, I think, for the two white lights listeners, because most of us are, are, are American lifters. Um, but we still, in spite of our criticism of IPF, we still like what the IPF offers. Like, an international, the best international competition that you're going to get is in the IPF. And we have an interest in competing there. Um, some are hesitant because of some of the politics. Article 14 is a big reason. And... Um, we usually we we try to use a platform to shed some light on things, but also improve it, um, because the the experience that other countries can can go through. A lot of people just in America think that 
everything revolves around America, and it's the same experience everywhere else. But they don't understand, like, Europe has so many different nations involved in it, and there's so many different federations within Europe that they're going to operate differently. So um, there could be a problem in Luxembourg, but not necessarily a problem with the IPF as a whole. Um, But, yeah. uh, So so take us through your experience. Like, what made you kind of want to finally breach out or branch out and go on two white lights? Well, yeah, the situation has been going on for three years. I always had the hope that it would improve with um, being patient, trying to find different ways of reaching out to the Federation, uh, to the people involved, to the sports minister, to the Olympic Committee in Luxembourg. And none of that has worked so far. So in the end, I. By now, I, I'm trying to make closure with it. I've moved on. Um, I'm, I'm, I live now in Belgium and I'm trying to, to compete here. I've competed. I've been competing in Belgium for the past uh, two years now. So since last year, actually. So one or two years. But yeah, when I started um, in Luxembourg, so since Luxembourg is very small, I'm just going to talk through my experience. Um, we only had one club in Luxembourg. Now, since last year, we have two clubs. And in that one club, we have a national trainer. Um, now, I don't think that every country has a national trainer. Like some countries have maybe different head coaches, like multiple head coaches. In Luxembourg, we only have one ha- um, one national trainer who is also the head coach. And so when... I got involved into powerlifting back in the days. I was uh, I was coached by my ex-boyfriend, and he told me if you want to compete, you need to go into the club and you need to be coached by the national trainer. I can't keep coaching you anymore because if you want to compete, you need to be coached by the national trainer. And I was like, okay, so let's give it a try. So I gave it a try, and after a few months, I I'm not going to to talk about like what I didn't like um, because I don't want to make this a discussion about like, yeah. um, what makes you a good coach, what makes you a bad coach, you know? Well, yeah. I, I don't because... want to cut you off or anything, but it's like, it's, you're not even saying, I, I don't know what your experience was, but it's not even saying that it's a bad coach, right? I, I was go my personal example. If say we had a national coach, which we have national coaches, but we're able to have our own coach coach us into a competition um and if powerlifting america or the usapl was like hey you have to take this coach i'll be like no i don't care who it is i chose my coach for a reason i like my coach it can be a good friend it could be marcellus williams i love marcellus williams he's fantastic and if you said i need to be coached by him i'm gonna say no (laughs) i don't want to be coached by this gentleman because my coach has has figured me out we have a relationship it's it's working out. It's it's not saying Marcellus or Steve, Brad, and all the other coaches yeah, that I really like yeah. aren't good. I just don't, don't want to leave a coach. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I still wanted to give it a try so because I thought, okay, it's the only option I have. I was very, fairly new to powerlifting, so I wanted to give it a try. 
um, I have no bad intentions at all, but it just didn't work out, you know. So that can have multiple reasons why it doesn't work out with the coach. Like it's it's just sometimes when two human beings work together, it doesn't work out. Yeah. Or like a coach is biased um, into like some sort of systems that they follow, like training systems that you don't work well with that it can have multiple reasons oh, yeah. like also me as a coach um I, i'm not a good fit for everyone you know and it's okay but yeah when i started to um to say that i wanted to have my ex-boyfriend back as my coach it became a major issue because they like they weren't used to that because so far um, everyone has been coached by the national trainer and um, the ones that didn't want that just left you know um so yeah the, the thing was that didn't sit well with me was that it got turned in a way where i felt like i was the problem because i didn't want to be coached by him and there have been many situations where i also doubted myself questioning myself if uh, yeah if that's the right choice or not but in the end i still try to follow my gut feeling you know like listen to my gut feeling and uh, stand up for my beliefs we had many discussions and in the end i um like i felt like there were like rules that came up where in the beginning it was like okay you you can be coached by your um, by your boyfriend but we will coach you at the at the competitions yeah. and if if you go on competitions, our athletes they get everything financed. You will have to finance your trips by yourself. And I was like, okay, that doesn't sound that fair to me. Um, there have been many discussions about that. Um, yeah, there suddenly also came minimas, like minimum qualification totals that you need to to achieve in order to get sent to like Europeans or worlds other countries have that as well so that was okay i um i wasn't allowed in the end to like for example participate on the luxembourgish nationals or at club competitions even though i was a member of the club because i didn't follow the system by the national trainer i was coached by my ex-boyfriend okay. back at, at the time at this point i think it's fair to ask so I know you're rolling here as far as the explanation goes, but did they ever give you a rationale or a reason on why they do this? Because when you make a rule, there's logic behind the rule. And yeah. I, I, I'm just trying to see why you would, you would, um, you would potentially put a lifter in a circumstance where they're not competing as well. Like, cause the main objective is to win and to represent your country and compete against other countries so right. why not make that as easy as possible yeah that is the big question that i still haven't been able to to have answers to yet so i've i've asked like i've asked this many times in the beginning like i got told that it's mainly because of doping control you know they want to have everything under control if they see what you do in training, if you are always present at the at the trainings, maybe they have some sort of better control on that, which I don't, I personally don't believe that because in other countries it also like works very well. That, like 
people can train in other gyms. People can do different training systems. I'm not even. I'm not even gonna touch that. I. I yeah. In order, in order to know if you are on performance enhancing drugs, you need to make tests. You know that is the only way. I don't see how that has anything to do with who your coach is. You know, so. And then the other thing is because in the end it ended up, um, the rule ended up being that, okay, you you need to have uh, you need to be coached, like handled by the national trainer or someone from the federation um, that is approved by the national trainer at competitions, but also have the um, like have the national trainer as your coach in the training, but. Also with the um, yeah, with the rule of having the coach at the international competitions, I'm I'm also wondering like what's what the reason is for that. Like you have different different kind of um, systems, of course. For example, the the Swedish team works pretty well with that because there they have like an entire team where you. Like you as an athlete, you have maybe coach from RTS or like from from somewhere else, and you still end up being coached by some of team at international competitions, and it works pretty well. But this also requires communication. Um, yeah, it requires a lot yeah. of. Uh, things, well, this is where this is where Steve what, what would, I, this is where Steve would be good because he can speak on the this the communication of the U.S. team coach because that's who the game day coach is, is the U S team coach. And then their actual coach. And usually they discuss a game plan and I'm okay with that for me. Cause I think it does make things simple as opposed to having like 12 people having diff- all different coaches where two or three coaches, they call the numbers out. Um, but there would have to be some level of communication. It would have to be cordial, but at the same time, like in your circumstance, not funding your travel expenses, because you just have a different coach, to me, goes back to, well, they're still representing your country, and you're still trying to have them win. If you're a coach in any sport, not powerlifting, you want to have happy players, and you want to have the players know that you're looking out for them. Whether it be this is a unique sport where we have separate coaches, but it's going to be in your best interest to make sure your your players are happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky question because like of course you have a responsibility as a team, you have a responsibility responsibility over your country, over your athletes that represent your country. So I think it has a lot to do with control, like being in control of what your athletes are going to put on the platform which is the only logic that I can think of that would make the most sense. Because like when I think back to my last international competition, which was also my second competition, um, like I did two competitions for Luxembourg, which was the Western Europeans in 2021. And then um, in 2022, I did the University Cup. And when I got handled, they had no idea what I was going to put on a platform on that competition, I, I benched the World University record and they had no idea that I was going to do that because they didn't know what my numbers were, you know. And 
when I think of that, that could be a problem because there was no communication. So this could be the only logic where I would say, okay, it makes the most sense that like the one that is handling you on the platform is also going to be your trainer in training. Yeah. But I've also handled athletes that's that I don't personally coach, you know, so, and it has worked very well, but it requires a lot of communication in advance. Well, what's the reason for not communicating? Like that doesn't, that's not the hardest thing to do. Um, happens a lot. Um, I'll, I'll use a meet, for example, that I did. It was, Joe just wasn't able to make it out. It was a meet where there would have to be some attempt selections because it was a money meet and I did want to win the meet. And he called Garrett Fear to handle me and good communication, gave him the spreadsheet, gave him the plan. Like this is a safe attempt. This is the aggressive attempt. If this happens and there was just a good communication there. I mean, that's, I would be totally fine with someone else handling me as long as they're communicating with other people, but not knowing my lifts, that's at least do research on me. Right. If you're, if you're coaching, like do, yeah. Who you're coaching, like, oh, what do you pull up open powerlifting? That's your best deadlift? Okay, I have an idea what your best deadlift is. Yeah, I feel like, especially on big competitions, it's also for the athlete very important to have that trust, to know, okay, I'm in good hands, just also mentally, you know, to, to be at ease and try to perform at your best because it's so important who is handling you at competitions, how they are going to react, and that's they try to meet your needs, you know, but yeah. 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 So d- d- it doesn't, does it stop there? I guess with, as far as like the politics go in Europe, um, what's currently going on with you now, as far as this whole situation? Cause you said three years, but present presently, like what's, what's happening. Right. So after the university cup, um, right after the university cup, I found out that I, I don't know how to call it, got kicked out of the federation in Luxembourg. And the only way I found out was that I like someday checked my bank account and I was like, why did I get the money sent back for the annual membership? So I reached out. At least they refunded you. That's <laughs> at the very least they refunded you. Yeah, that's very nice. <laughs> yeah. Always, so always trying I, to be an I optimist. Reached... Yeah, but I reached out because, like, there wasn't even any notes. I just saw the bank account and I saw the, the amount of money that I, that I got sent back. And I was like, what is going on? Because I had a good competition. Like, I placed a podium. I, I broke a record. Mm-hmm. And that was the last thing, you know, after that I hadn't heard back from them. So... And I checked the bank account, I saw that I got the money back. So I reached out and I was like, what's going on? The national trainer had my number blocked. So I couldn't contact him. And I sent an email to the to the federation. I sent an email to the IPF president, who is also the president of the Luxembourgish Federation, because he also lives in Luxembourg. And I didn't really get a reply. Like the secretary wrote me back and she said, yeah, we're going, uh, like I forwarded the email so you will get a reply, but I never got a reply. So I ended up writing a letter 
I don't know how you call it in English, like a letter recommendé, you know, like where you pay for the letter and then it's a priority letter. So it will okay. arrive at the at the place, but it got sent back. So they didn't, they didn't uh, accept it. So it got sent back to me. And then I took a picture of that. I sent it again to the Federation for email. And I was like, yeah, I still haven't gotten any reply. Like, what's going on? Am I, am I still a member of the Federation? Like, I have no idea what was going on. And I actually found out that I, like, got kicked out. I don't want to call it banned because, like, I didn't do anything. I don't even know why I got kicked out. But I found out that I wasn't a member of the Federation anymore from, like, third people, you know. So, mm -hmm. like, people that were lifters from the Federation and they heard things. So, yeah, that was it. And... Then I was like, okay, if, if no one replies to me, I I can't do anything. I'm helpless at the moment. So and I still want to compete. Even though this is unfair, I still want to compete in the IPF. I just want to have fun, like competitions. It's it's uh, an addition to to my training. I I need this for for like to keep to to have this motivation, you know, to have something that I can work towards. And so I started uh, going to Belgium okay. and started competing there because Belgium is right next to Luxembourg. So it would take me like two hours or so to drive there for competitions. And also over the past, over the course of the past years, I've met a lot of people there in the Federation, in the community, and they have an awesome community. Like from the moment on when I went to competitions, when I started training in those gyms, I immediately felt welcomed. You know? And this is a feeling that I never really had in Luxembourg. So I kept going there to compete and just have fun. But at the same time, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do international competitions because I didn't live in Belgium. I lived in Luxembourg. I am Luxembourgish as, uh, as my nationality. So there was no way that I could, could compete for that. And so then... The, the second club joined in Luxembourg and this year I started to go there to train because it's also a gym and I was like okay maybe this is like a new chance you know like a year has moved on maybe they see things differently now for some reason maybe everything has changed so let's just train there they will see that like I'm there just to have fun I, I want to compete and everything's good. But then the discussion started again. Like I was like, yeah, can I compete for the club? And the owner of the gym is also the vice president of the federation now, recently. And it's also coached by the national trainer. And then uh, in the beginning, I got told that, yeah, uh, just wait a few months and then we'll talk about it again. And then after a few months, I was like, hey... Can I maybe do competition soon because I meet the qualification totals? Um, like, of course, I everything, by the way, that I did in Belgium, like the numbers that I put on a platform, they were all national records in Luxembourg, but they never, of course, like yeah, never. were validated because Transfer. in order to do that, like you have to request that for the, at, at the Federation and so on. So, but still, you know, they're still in the open powerlifting log. Yeah. You know, they're still official numbers, but they're not approved uh, yeah, in official national records. Um, 
yeah, but in any case, I was like, yeah, those are my numbers. Can I compete in the future again? And then the discussion started again where I, I got told like, yeah, you can only compete if you are coached by a national trainer, if you are an international athlete and if you are a national athlete and only compete at like national competitions, you still need to be coached by someone from the federation. And then I found out that now the, the national trainer gives courses like they have this idea where they want to reinforce like this internal system where like the national trainer uh, educates his own coaches and they also like get educated about those training systems and those coaches will be allowed to coach for the national federation in Luxembourg and that's when I realized okay so I can't compete for Luxembourg and I also can't work in Luxembourg. Like basically it would make my job useless because I'm an online coach and I coach, I also coach athletes from other countries, you know? So I was like, what is going on? Because I also took the IPF course. So I am an IPF coach, but it still, I think wouldn't be accepted. That was the moment when I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to write an email again to the Federation and say, okay, those are my numbers. Those are my qualifications as a coach. I want to be accepted as an athlete and as a coach in the future in the Federation. And I didn't get a reply. But what happened was that um, I got told in the gym uh, while I was training uh, as a reply to my email that I was being arrogant that I would think that I had the best coach in the world because I was like coached by someone from Australia by Kellyman and uh, well yeah I, was, I, I, I think I, was I think upset. most lifters would think their coach is the best coach in the world right what I, it, I think most lifters would think their coach is the best coach in the world I don't think there's anything wrong with even thinking that I would it would be very funny to me if somebody asked me well you think your coach is the best coach in the world like actually I think Steve Inovi is a much better coach. Like, wait, what? Why would you say that? <laughs> you're not, you're not going to ever coach his back? Uh, yeah, it's okay. I think it's okay to think that your coach is good. I mean, it wasn't even up for debate. You know, I felt like my words got twisted in my mouth because I was just stating facts in the email. And, of course, I, I was happy with my coach, you know. Like, we've... We worked together for, for a year, for over a year, and I made very good progress. And she also has qualifications. Like, the coach that I'm coached uh, by now also has good qualifications. Uh, it's, a, it's a Belgian coach, by the way. But, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I was so devastated in that moment. I just quit my training. I sat in my car and I cried because I was like, what is going on? I was so fed up by all of the disrespect that I had to face in the past three years. There have been so many situations where I cried because I just didn't know what to do anymore. And this is not normal because I love the sport. I want to keep doing the sport, you know. And I always felt like there are so many rules that protect the sport. But what rules protect me as an athlete, you know? Yeah, well, like, that's... Yeah, and especially in your circumstance, because you are a coach yourself. And this is, I think, what we're experiencing on America, predominantly with Article 14. 
Um, but we're lucky to have other federations, a lot of federations. Not just the USAPL is the alternative. There's WRPF, there's USPA. There's a lot of avenues as a coach. Um, but if you're going to talk business here, if you're a drug-tested lifter, you want to be in the USAPL or Powerlifting America. That's where you're going to make your mo uh, most amount of money. But I think coaches right now are really trying to get this out there that Article 14 is hurting their business. And it can severely limit them as coaches. And that's how they make a living. And it's great to see that. In America, we have people who are able to make a living. But now we see it in Europe too. You yourself are a person who makes a living off of powerlifting. That's what we yeah. all want. We all want to make a living off of powerlifting. It's, and not just in one country. In all the countries. And stuff like this is severely limiting what we can do like this is i think the reason why we have such critiques on on two white lights is because this will help us look out for athletes and coaches but also it'll most definitely make the sport better if you are not quitting your training in the middle of it because you're so pissed off with the federation because it, it's been just an absolute pain for you to just try and compete in competitions and coach freely that sh should really not happen. I really don't get it because we have so many athletes that like their life, most of their life is consumed by powerlifting. And, you know, let's not forget that every person also has their own story. Like powerlifting has given me so much value to my life and everyone has their own story to tell. But it, I feel like no one cares, you know, like everyone just saw like, yeah, okay, She's, yeah, because that's also something that I've heard that got told about me that I'm a spoiled brat because I didn't want to be coached by this person, you know. And I, but, I'm going to ask a question. I know you're on, I apologize for interrupting, but have you heard another experience of this from lifters in Europe? Or is this just kind of a unique thing to Luxembourg? Because you've been, and the reason I'm going to let you continue to explain, but you, I heard that thing, like they're calling you a spoiled brat. Is that like the thing in Europe where you have to get your national team coach? And if you don't, you're arrogant, you're a diva, you're a prima donna. Is is that a thing? Because you're saying it and I'm like, that's it's ridiculous. Like American lifters, if you tell us this story, we'd be like, what? We would go crazy. We would it would immediately be blasted on social media. Like they're forcing me. Yeah to be under a national team coach. And immediately people would be in uproar. So is this a European thing or is it just a, like a, a situation unique to you? I wouldn't say that this is a European thing. Like I, the only, the only country where I know that this or some similar kind of situation once was the case was Germany because I also communicated with uh, some German athletes like also athletes from other countries um, where everyone was like, what the fuck is going on in your country? Like, why are you affected by that kind of okay. thing? I'm but just, in Germany, it's good to see more people acknowledge that it's ridiculous. All right, continue. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's really helpful because at some point I was really doubting my own mind. I was like, okay, am I like, am I really spoiled or what's going on that I still decided to, to listen to my own gut feeling. But yeah, in Germany, there also used to be like a national trainer. I'm not sure if that's still the case, but a lot of 
um, a lot has actually changed uh, since a few years. I got told that this was the case uh, for a few athletes and like one athlete, I'm not going to say any name because I'm not sure if, if that person is like okay with me talking about that person in, in a podcast, but like that person also wasn't allowed to um, be like to to represent the country internationally since that person had another coach. Um, but ever since that has changed, that person was allowed is allowed to to compete internationally and is also a very good athlete. So now we also see a lot of um, a lot of improvement in Germany. I feel like because like in the last few years we more and more hear from very good athletes in Germany. And yeah, but in other countries it's it's really not the case. Like here in Belgium. Especially here in Belgium, I feel like nobody really cares about that, you know, like everyone has a different coach, everyone is able to pick their own coach, we have different clubs here and of course like there are, um, um, every club is a bit different, every club uh, follows different kind of systems, you know, it's normal, there's a lot of diversity in Belgium and also in other countries, but still you're able to have your freedom and pick the coach that you want. You can be coached by Jerry Flex if you want to. Mm -hmm. There are Belgian athletes that are coached by Jerry Flex. And by the way, like at Sheffield, a lot of athletes were coached by Jerry Flex. Yeah. And it still worked out. Like they made it to Sheffield. Well, kind of. I, mean? I mean, they had been the crowd holding up signs on what they need to call. They couldn't be back there with his team. Luckily, Joey has a team. Like he has a team of coaches that he can relay information to. But yeah. um. That can be changed too. <laughs> that 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 can be changed because I think, because in your circumstance, uh, it seems to be national coaching. It it seems to be yeah. predicated primarily around that. Um, and and the reason why they gave was because of doping. And would you would you say that's fair? Like the main reason that they've been giving you has been the doping control. Or have they potentially... It doesn't make any sense. Oh, no. It makes no sense. Absolutely. Well, I mean, same... All right, so Article 14. Article 14, to me, is also the primary thing of doping, and that's kind of our interpretation of it in the United States, where we're... We're... Like, okay, so you're saying if I compete in another federation, you can't test me anymore? And you can't give me out-of-meat tests, in-meat tests do blood work, get my urine tests. I, like, you can still all do that, but I can compete in the USPA just freely, right? And that, again, that doesn't make sense. I did speak to other American lifters where that's like the reason. It's like, well, you know, you kind of want to make sure the uh, you're, not, you're not surrounding yourself around people who are doing steroids. I'm like, what? What? I'm at a gym. I can't help who goes to the gym. There's people in my gym who are on steroids. There's people in many gyms in the United States that are on steroids. We can't ban people from gyms because they're on steroids. It's just, that's why the out of meat tests are put in place is for us to drug test out of meat. And I think that's the rationale they give. If they just remove article 14, so many more people would join their federation. And they would make more money. And 
I don't know how you turn that down. You get more notoriety, more publicity, if more people join your federation. If Article 14 is removed tomorrow, my chances of going to the IPF go up about 20%. And that's big. Because I'm almost 50-50 right now. So, like, that's... So you remove that, you have more lifters in there. Then when you look at all... Because then doping, so Article 14, doping, the reason why they want to clamp down on doping is because of IOC recognition. Well, flag football is going to be in the Olympics. The NFL does their own drug testing. They are not WADA compliant. They're getting into the Olympics, no problem. And powerlifting has to make up these own rules for themselves in order to get IOC recognition. Yeah. Honestly, I've like everyone that I've talked to also seems to have the same opinion about Article 14. Like no one really understands it. Also recently, like next year in Germany, there's there's a really cool competition going on. Um, it's one of the only money meets, I think, in Europe. It's um, the Bench Boy Open competition. And I was actually interested in competing there. So I signed up. And then just to make sure that I would be allowed to compete there because it's not uh, an IPF competition and it's not affiliated to any federation which normally should be fine but just to make sure I got an answer that apparently you need to read between the lines apparently you are not allowed as an IPF athlete to compete at any federation uh, at any competitions where non-IPF athletes are competing yeah so I just signed out again and also bringing my coach to that competition could also have been harmful to the coach because you're also not allowed to coach at those kind of things. That's, um, that's you're essentially kind of describing, yeah, that's just almost every meet in America at this point. It's, yeah, exactly. Joey Flex can't be at USAPL Raw Nationals because that will suspend him from the IPF where he can't coach at part of the American Nationals and then a result Sheffield. So now coaches are doing this little strategy of when you want to take your suspension. Like, I'm going to get suspended, but when do I want to get suspended? Um, and yeah. it's, um, I, I would say it's a frustrating thing. And also, there, I have been ru- hearing rumblings that Article 14 goes away. Um, I am of the proponent. I'm never going to believe it until it actually happens because I have heard this in about two years. But I, I believe, I mean, because that situation that meet in Germany is similar to the speed skating case. Where there's, uh, have you heard about that one? No. Yeah, so I, the EU, I think, established that you cannot ban people from, say, like competing internationally under their own country in the Olympics because they did a professional event. And that was the case with figure skating, or not figure skating, speed skating. And that was the closest thing to what we have, where we have, um, a professional organization, but then also like the w- w- what the rules are in place, where the international organization doesn't allow you to compete other places, and they deem that as um, I don't know unconstitutional in Europe. So I- I'm hoping there's some legal precedent there. It's just a matter of somebody will have to take the lawsuit. A lifter would have to do it, and that's or a coach. And that's, you're essentially just jeopardizing your profession for a year 
for a lawsuit that you might not win. And then all the legal proceedings that go along with it. Because there is some precedent established there that you cannot do that. Yeah. You definitely can't do that in America. Because no one does that. The NBA, do you know how expensive really lawsuits yeah. are? Yeah. <laughs> like, no one can, especially not a powerlifting coach, can afford that. You know, so it's, it's, it's impossible. In my situation, like, of course, this wasn't the worst thing that has happened to me in the past few years with this meet that I'm not allowed to participate in. But, uh, so it, it's not that big of a deal. But I was a bit frustrated because I was like, damn, like, I have no really interesting competition coming up in the upcoming three years because now that I live in Belgium, um, here's the rule that you need to live here for at least three years until you can uh, represent the country internationally. Ooh. So I was like, I really need that spark in my training at the moment. Yeah. You know, and that competition, there would be a big competition that I could compete against, you know, so I was really, really looking forward uh, to that. But then I always put my work first and I thought, okay, if this puts my work in danger and I wouldn't be able to coach for 12 months, then I'm not doing it, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. that's hard. No. Here we are again. Yeah, that's hard. That is, and even saying that of, you know, setting up or having a meet that you really want to do. No, you need that as a lifter. Every lifter has yeah. that. I mean, and also, I, I don't know about Belgium. I don't know about Luxembourg. I don't think they have this wide variety of local meets that happen every weekend. Um, like Belgium it, has a lot of meets, like really cool meets. And whenever I am at a competition here, I feel like it's improving from competition to, uh, like every competition. It's, uh, there's a big improvement going on and there's always a lot of hype going on. So Good. it's really cool, but I'm talking about having actual competition on a platform because we have a lot of, in Belgium, we have a lot of inter-club competitions that people do to um, to qualify, for example, for the nationals, um, to to gain more competitions, um, to, to, um, to international competitions. And a lot of lifters use those competitions also for their first competition experience, you know. But... Like, of course, they are really cool to do, and I want to keep doing them, but I really need that spark. Yeah. You know, I need that fire. For sure. No, so, I, and that's – that's because every lifter, I think, competes for that. They lift for a goal. Um, when you start at the local level and you go to the national level, you have some goal. Like, you, you, you have a total that you want to hit a local meet. But once you hit that total, of course, you want to improve that total. But then a great goal is qualify for nationals. And then from there, climb up the rankings. You do most definitely need that. And I actually think coaching as well. I mean, this is your profession, but um, I don't know. You can uh, feel free to chime in like if you disagree with this or agree with this, but coaches don't necessarily need to be active competitors, but they most definitely need to love the sport. And to have a yeah. passion for the sport. And once they start to check out where they're like, okay, I'm going to, it's always, it's always this sport that they start getting into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Once they start explore, experimenting with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it's like, ah, maybe that coach is kind of out of it in a little bit. And when I've seen it, it has been a thing where it's like, yeah, they're more focused on that. And like, Ugh. it's hard to have that as some filter and then put all your attention into powerlifters because your clients want to be the best powerlifter they can be. 
and they need a coach to feed to be with them on that journey and being the best so if you're in a situation where you don't have a spark of competing and then you're going through this issue with federations and uh, the politics of powerlifting, that can suck the joy out of it. And I think that hurts you as a coach, even though you really have no choice. And I like, I think that would be just a really tough situation to be in. Yeah. You know, the, the sad part is that I've seen people leave the sport because of that around me in Luxembourg like we you you don't really hear about luxembourg international rise but we actually have quite good and talented people you know but the thing is so many people have left in the past and so many people are just being underdog lifters because they refuse to like give up their own coach or stop being self-coached and i think that's a problem because you know a federation at the end of the day a sports federation is there to act as a support net for athletes. And if we lose an athlete, like if a person stops doing the sports that they once found passion in, you know, that's that's a real problem. Yeah. Like people shouldn't stop doing sports yeah. for, for no reason, you know. So and it's a real problem because like we also like um the last time that you heard from Luxembourg international wise was uh, like the, the big thing was in 2012 or so. I think that was Anibal Coimbra who uh, became the the world champion in raw and equipped in that year. And ever since, we already had a lifter who put up better numbers than him. And who, like in the days where he was powerlifting, um, that was Yanis Kokos. He was uh, in the minus 105. And he had the same. He was in the same situation as me because he's actually my um, ex-boyfriend. So I was coached by him. He gave up coaching. He gave up powerlifting. And it's a big problem because he was super talented. We also have other lifters that uh, in the minus 83, for example, uh, Tom Dostot, who that lifts like 320 kilos. Mm -hmm. And he's not allowed to compete internationally. Like, I don't get it. I really don't get it. It's such a... It's... You have you have to adapt. That that that's what it is. You just have to adapt to what's going on within your federation. Your good lifters are experiencing a lot of growth and progress, and that's clearly the best way for them to lift and become better lifters is by having their own coach. So adapt to it. Like that's what you, I I think. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not too familiar with the culture, but. I, I to me it's like a cultural thing. I don't know anything about Olympic weightlifting, but it feels like that's what Olympic weightlifting is. Is they all train at the same gym, the same club, have the same coach, and I think there's just no separation between that's how Olympic lifting is, so that's how powerlifting should be as well. And I but I I'm, I'm speaking out of no experience at all. This is just a thought that just randomly popped in my head. And, I, and that's why I think, like, there's a clash of cultures here because, like you said, they're pretty much denying good lifters to get them medals. And yeah. the keeping things in-house is not that important. Getting medals for your country is it. I, I can't think of anything else that's more important than that. So I, do you think it's a culture thing? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. But I've been thinking about it a lot, and... Like, 
they, they are if you deny diversity and you are only sending the athletes to competitions that uh, are supposed to represent the country that follow one specific training system because it's by one specific coach or a net of coaches then are you are you representing like are you showing those athletes or are you representing a training system and a competition like here is my country and this country follows this system you know that that's actually, that's actually a, um a pretty good c- c- conclusion to get to i think national identity you know i mean we have romanian deadlifts we have you know bulgarian split squats we have all those things because national identity has been influencing that right like bulgarian bulgaria romania has fantastic olympic weightlifting teams so there's there's a potential of that where um and in powerlifting we have the french low bar like that's i guess our uh our uh our, the, our little identity thing that we've been seeing, like, oh, you see a lifter in America with a really low bar? It's it's a, it's a French low bar. Um, and that, that could be a reason. Um, and uh, to me, though, it's still like an Olympic weightlifting thing. Uh, w- without having a lot of experience in Olympic weightlifting, um, it could speak more of the national identity. But then what are you trying to sell? I guess at that point, it's not about getting people onto your programming because it seems like there's not a whole lot of interest in that happening or it's impossible for that to happen. As an American, I'm not going to be like, all right, I'm going to get the Luxembourg national coach. He's not going to accept me anyway, right? Like, there's no way, based on your experience, why would he take an American on? Like, that wouldn't make any sense. So it's not like they're trying to sell anything, but potentially national nationalism national pride that that can be yeah. one but to yeah, me that's, still that's a really interesting term. that flag that's the national pride and a medal that's the national pride but that's a really interesting topic because of course in sports national nationality plays a role because you are rooting for your own nation mm-hmm. but like for example when it's it's, it's important, but of course, when we now take Sheffield, for example, I want to see the athletes for the athletes. Yeah. Like, I want to see Leah Bobron. She could, she, she can compete for France. She could also compete for America, for example, you know, like, I want to see her as, a, as an athlete because I'm interested in the athlete. Like, no, I, I understand um, that. And then also, I mean, to your point where people are being essentially like leaving the sport of powerlifting. Well, Sheffield doesn't happen if people aren't in powerlifting. People are in powerlifting and Sheffield is happening because SBD is running it. People are buying SBD stuff. It's a fantastic brand in powerlifting that people are attached to. And that's because more people are involved in it. And if you start losing that, then you do lose Sheffield. You do lose nationals. You, It hurts us, right? Like you as a, as a coach will be hurt from not as many lifters getting into the sport because you have less people to coach. For me, doing, you know, with my sponsorships and trying to branch out, if there's no one to buy the stuff, if no one's going to tune into Two White Lights, then I, you know, I don't uh, benefit from it. So lifters being involved in the sport at a large number is the most important thing. If we don't have that, that's our foundation. If that gets collapsed, we're done. Um, and for and but 
I will say personally, uh, of course I'm watching the lifters, but I do have an American thing where I, even if I don't like the lifter, and there has been some in America who I really just kind of don't like, but at Worlds, I'm like, they better win. Because I do not yeah, want to see another country. <laughs> I do not yeah, want to see another country win this country. weight class. Yeah, of course. This is why it's such an interesting topic, you know. You're rooting for your country. Sports unite the nations, but sports also unite everyone in the world, you know. Yeah. So where is the point where you draw the line? That's that's something that has been in my head in, yeah. the, past, uh, in the past years. Yeah. Because I'm trying to understand this rule that has been applied in Luxembourg, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It doesn't well, make much sense to me. Well, being that it doesn't make much sense to you, I think we can potentially move on from this. Unless you want to uh, want to get one more thing off of your chest before I, I get into my other questions here. Okay. All right, we're good to go. Okay, fantastic. I, I think we did uh, cover a lot of things there, but. Um, I am always interested in your coaches from other nations. So you're part of RTS. Are you getting primarily your clientele from Europe? Um, no, at the moment it's like pretty spread out. So when I started coaching before I joined RTS, I mainly coached athletes from Luxembourg and Belgium. But then once I started coaching for RTS, now I also coach athletes from Canada, from the United States, from Kuwait, from Switzerland, so from, from different continents. Yeah, and it works pretty well. So I, for me personally, I couldn't imagine a way where I would be able to make a living out of powerlifting coaching if I would purely coach Luxembourgish athletes. Okay. Because yeah. the demand is just isn't high. Okay. All right. Yeah. So... Yes. Um, that, that, that makes sense. Um, so then what, what are you looking to accomplish as a coach aside from, you know, making a living? Uh, cause I think a lot of coaches, at least in the United States, especially the ones who are part of the big teams, they want to, they want that next national champion. They want the next world champion. Is that part of your motivation as well as to build one of your athletes to be a world champion? Or is it just when people come to me, they improve and that is that is the main objective as a coach. Yeah, honestly, like every athlete has different kind of goals. I think a lot of athletes like they they are looking up to world champions. They whenever they look at the world stage or any international stage, they get really motivated. So I think that's the ultimate goal of a lot of athletes. And I generally want to try to help my own athletes to to achieve that in the future. But it's not necessarily one of my personal goals where I'm like, I want to be a coach of, of an international athlete. I just want to help people to, to have fun in powerlifting and to make like, to just, to just help them make their journey sustainable and like make the most out of their journey so they can keep powerlifting for as long as they, as they want to and not lose that motivation. Because yeah. that's really important. Like I've seen way too many people around me lose that spark and just lose joy in powerlifting, and it's something that I want to prevent for my athletes. So this is also why I, I uh, one of the reasons why I coach in the IPF because I have so many athletes in Europe also in in the IPF, and I want to to help them to be able to guide them in the best way possible. 
Yeah. I've been, I've, I, the reason why I asked that is I've just been seeing it recently, and I'm wondering, and we haven't had a coach on in a while, um, aside from Brad Fouillard, but this is being recorded like almost on the same day, um, that it's, it seems to be turning into a, a competition between coaches, which is good. Um, but it, it's like at the end of the day, you're just getting clients to see them improve. And to see him get better at the sport and continue to have a passion for a sport, compete as long as possible. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's I guess refreshing to hear that's what's happening over yeah. over where you're at. Especially uh, now, like every year, each year you see you see massive improvements on international stages. You know, like the athletes that plays maybe top five this year might be in the B flights next year. Like some of them, you yeah. know. So. It, it changes so rapidly that it's it's not one of my main goals to have to have a world champion in my in my roster, you know. Yeah. It can happen. You don't know, but honestly, like I just want my athletes to to have fun and to keep improving and because that's that's why I coach. I coach because powerlifting is the sport that I love. I fell in love with powerlifting, I fell in love with training with trying to figure out solutions and finding new ideas and training. It's like, it's like making a puzzle, you know, like you're trying, you're always trying to put the puzzle pieces together. It doesn't necessarily matter when you put what piece together, because every coach does that in a different way. The outcome is what's, um, what's interesting. Yeah. As, um, has there been any sort of interactions that you've had with other coaches? Like I, I found was working with Joe and then having a podcast with Steve that they interact a lot with each other. They network a lot with each other. Um, has there been anyone in particular has been like, especially influential to you? There have been a lot of people that, I mean, coaches that have been influential, like, the main, the main people being the one in my team from RTS, since like Mike Teixeira was also one of the main coaches that have influenced the way I program ever since I started powerlifting. Um, then also Kelly Mann, like the Australian guys, um, like they have had a major influence in the way I perceive training. And also here in Belgium, uh, Jochen Struber, he's also a really good coach. He's Now I'm coached by him as well. Um, he's from Power Move. So he also has a really great view on training, which I really appreciate. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always open to new ideas. This is also, I think, what makes a good coach. You always have to be open to, to different ideas and always stay skeptical about everything. That's how you learn. Like you listen to everything and then at some point you form your own opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah. How long like, you... Because some coaches okay. are very biased in some direction and like they are, um, how, how do you say? Stubborn. Like they have one, yeah, stubborn. Like they have one kind of system and they always stick to it. I believe that I, I can always change my biases. Yeah. Actually, when you look at other sports, the coaches who have kind of branched out and adapted other things have been the most successful. Um, I'm assuming Luxembourg is not big on college football. 
Um, but there is, you know, coach Nick Saban is a coach that comes to mind in, in college football where he ran a certain offense one year and then it was going. And then he's like, oh, this is what the sport is now and completely changed it on a dime. And there's a reason why he's one of the, probably the best college football coach of all times because he never did the same thing. Like he always was switching things. I I can think of Bill Belichick in the NFL always switching things up, but that's always my view of coaches like who's ever doing the same thing over and over again, and whoever like won't get away from just doing what they know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I I I start to question the ability. Start to question the ability to coach other athletes. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty hard to coach a variety of athletes if you're very stubborn with one kind of system, you know, because then it gets really hard to find the perfect fits. Because, of course, as like in an athlete-coach relationship, both parties, they, um, they adapt their way of communicating. But a coach has the most influence, in my opinion. So if a coach isn't... isn't very adaptive like adaptable to to the athlete's needs then it's a problem so yeah yeah you're gonna have to definitely change things for listeners and give them circumstances i mean we had the coach client confidential with joe stanick and um i know he got a lot of a lot of my bench programming ideas from steve so and we did one thing for a while we talked to other coaches talked to other lifters and came up with a new plan i think that's kind of the mark of a of a good coach. Um, how about how about athletes then? As far as you know, you're drawing inspiration from people. Is there any athletes that have like an, an especially influential part in your powerlifting career? Um, yeah, I would say like usually the ones that are that have the most uncommon lifestyles. You know, like the athletes that have the busiest lifestyle where I really needed to get very creative with my way of coaching because like the the common guidelines that you follow in the beginning as a coach to try to find like the way that works for the athlete just really didn't work so I was like okay now I need to think in a different direction um yeah and also I feel like um very heavyweight lifters have also influenced my way of coaching. Very lightweight lifters have also influenced my way of coaching. Like basically the ones that I can't necessarily relate to myself as an athlete, you know, mm-hmm. they they made me think in a different direction. And those are the ones that I learned that I've learned the most from. Okay. Yeah. How about how about athletes just in general as far as that you admire? Um, is there any like because it does sound like you have a particular passion of powerlifting. So has there just been any lifters that, like, that's that's my guy or girl? Uh, I used to fangirl a lot for Jessica Wittner and Leah Bovwell, for example. Uh, when it comes to how athletes train, I just follow a lot of athletes. I remember, like, the way I started, co- um, before I started coaching, to learn more about programming um i also like because a lot of lifters post what they do on social media and at some point i started to 
write like everything that they did. I just stalked um, an entire profile and write everything that they did to try and see the thoughts behind, uh, like the logic behind the program, which was very hard. Because, for example, uh, Zonita Mulu in Belgium, mm -hmm. I did that with her when she started powerlifting. <laughs> it just didn't make any sense because she's so extraordinarily strong and she just like made so much progress in such a short time and i couldn't grasp what what was going on like i thought okay maybe there's a training system that works particularly well but yeah it didn't it, it was just her <laughs> it's actually no it's actually a really interesting way of going about that where yeah like that's a that's a whole nother way of following a lifter of yeah. of trying because i mean well like you would have to get like their post trends, you know, like their how they actually post on social media and see what information you can get. Like you, so you said, Sonita. Is there any other lifter that makes it easy? Like as far as like their posting is like, oh, I can see what they're doing in their program. I can I can get trends from that. Is there anyone that like comes to mind? Well, now at the moment, I I don't do it anymore. Because it was very time consuming. <laughs> it sounds it was... incredibly time consuming. <laughs> that's why I'm, that's yeah, why I'm fascinated that you said that. I'm like, that's actually, that's going to take a lot of work. Yeah, it did. I still have those, um, those documents still. Like, I just took evenings where I just sat um, in front of my phone and I just wrote everything down. And I tried to see, I, I even tried to see how the lifts moved because they wouldn't always put the RP on yeah. the caption, so I was like, maybe this is an RP7. So, yeah, that, well, yeah, that's one way of coaching. Yeah, I mean, you can get a lot from that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've done that scouting because I don't think I really need to scout for other lifters, but I have seen that, like, lifters who have a sticking point at some way. It's like, it moved fast, and everyone's going to say it's an RP6 or 7, but it's like, that was probably a RP8 or 9 because I, I saw the slowing down towards the lockout. So there, there's a lot, and I think you can learn a lot about lifters um, and about yourself when you do follow people just for the sake of just a, a, like actually following them and studying the craft that they, that they're doing as a lifter. I, I think you, that can be a really good learning experience. Yeah, definitely. But then after some point, uh, there also came the point where, you know, you can only get so much theoretical experience and then you just have to throw yourself out there and start coaching. You know, like yeah. you can only learn so much oh, yeah, for just sure. from seeing athletes on social media and reading things and um, educating yourself uh, with courses. But then at some point you need to work with a variety of athletes because as I said, like, the ones that I learned the most from were the ones that I could relate the, the least to and that really challenged my biases. So that's really important. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that that approach, yeah, definitely is going to, I mean, but that's going to put you in a different position for a lot of other people. Like if you're actually trying to pick up those trends and then get into coaching, um, I think it's going to be really beneficial. But how, how long have you been at it then? Because um, you're, a, a, a young lifter but it sounds like we have a lot of experience here as far as coaching is lifting then so how how long have you been at it you mean coaching wise both 
Um, so I've been powerlifting since I think four years, okay. and pretty soon after that, I started um, diving into coaching. Um, so when I started studying sports science, now I graduated. Three years ago, I started coaching at the same time, and then it just grew with me. I When I started studying sports science, I really didn't know what I was going to do with it afterwards. I just wanted to keep the doors open for me. Because, you know, when you study sports science, a lot of people tell you, yeah, you can always become a PE teacher, but that, that never really... That's, that's not even how you become a PE teacher in America. <laughs> You study education, then they get like a thing in PE, and that's it. You don't have to, never, really, yeah, yeah. So exercise science degree. I mean, it helps, but there's really not, yeah. Yeah, yeah in Luxembourg, you, I think you need to study sports science. At least you need to have a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. and then you need to, um, you need to also take courses to um, get your coaching certificate. But then. Coaching-wise, the coaching just grew with me. I grew a bigger roster, and then after two years or so, I, um, well, I saw that RTS was looking for a coach, and I was like, okay, the, the criteria actually fits into my profile, and after the those years of coaching, I've been able to more or less build my own personality in coaching, so let's just give it a shot, and then I gave it a shot, and it turned out to, to work out. That's that's one of the more interesting things to me is putting yourself out there as far as coaching goes. Like how how did you go about that? Like marketing for yourself. Marketing wise, I would say I I'm pretty bad at it because like if you really want to do it well, you need to put a lot of effort into it. And I wouldn't say that I'm particularly good at social media. Um but how it worked for me was that uh, back then my ex-boyfriend, he was a coach and he also was studying in Belgium. So I spent a lot of time in Belgium. I started to do internships in Belgian gyms where I also started to meet people from the powerlifting scene. And then um, I started coaching a few people and I would just say that word of mouth just did its thing and that's how... I started to grow more roster. Yeah, that's um, I mean, I mean, that's a great way to start. I, I, I think we're gonna have a discussion on this when we have a lot of coaches on, just like actually building a brand, and because a lot of times I see people really get their initial clientele from people around them, like the gym that they train at, and then branch from there. But then I, I think if they really want to reach a level of being professional as far as coaching goes and having that be their living, they have to somehow expand and it has to be through social media um word to mouth it can help but athlete progress can help as well having a person active that's one of your athletes on social media helps a lot too but it's always i i kind of because i'm not i'm not an actual coach myself i do coach high school powerlifting but that's in its infancy i've only been doing it for about three weeks and obviously i'm not marketing for that it's going to be only the people who uh who are at the high school that I, that I that I teach at, but I always like to do the thing like I see a coach kind of happening and sprouting, and I'm like, okay, what is going to be their next moves? How are they going to go about marketing for themselves? Are they going to market themselves as a lifter? And this is how good I am as a lifter, and I'm going to use that 
to get clients in? Am I going to put a lot of informational topics? And am I going to take a lot of shirtless selfies? Am I going to like, there, there, there's a lot of different, like, I like to see like, what are they going to take the clout route? Are they going to take the informational route? Are they going to take the YouTube route? Are they going to be part of a team? I would, cause there are different approaches and I do like to see like, who's, who's going to take that specific approach. Yeah, I definitely wanted to be part of a team because like back in the days, we also created this community called Virtual Strength, um, which consisted of uh, some Belgian athletes, a lot of Luxembourgish athletes that were excluded by Federation just to like share training ideas and yeah, share training, you know, what was going on to, to keep motivating ourselves. And we also created an Instagram page, which didn't have a lot of followers like 100 followers or so and i always like i was always looking forward to um to the weekends because i would post the highlight of the weeks of everyone of everyone's training and it became a really fun thing but then after a while you know like i was one of the only coaches in the group the other one was um Yannis, studied medical um, medicine so he didn't have a lot of time for coaching anymore and I felt like I really needed a new challenge you know I wanted to keep talking about training ideas but yeah so then I found that RTS was looking for a new coach and I was like I really want to be part of a team where we can talk about training and other coaches that have other ideas and that challenge my biases and yeah, I'm really grateful now to be part of the team and to just talk about tactics and also have coaches in, in my team that um, I can just also sometimes throw ideas at, you know, when uh, when I just need more input um, from uh, of one of my lifters. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I, I, I can I see how that's beneficial. And I also see a lot of like independent coaches now who start off with teams um, and like no matter what, it was still good from the part of that team and really get that information in. But I just, the initial thing you said that made me kind of laugh was like a lot of the Luxembourg coaches who were excluded from the Federation. I'm like, wouldn't that just be great if you made a team, like a coaching team out of just them. And it was just like, if you were, you were part of this team and the only criteria is you were excluded from Luxembourg. Uh, I, I don't think, that, I, I mean, that doesn't sound very right to me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually the, there's, a, there's another story because we actually got to a point with virtual strength where we wanted to create a club in Luxembourg because that was also one of the things that I got told. I Like two years ago, I had a meeting with uh, Gaston, like the IPF president and the national trainer and one athlete's representative. So it was basically me talking with uh, older men. So I was, I was all by myself. I was like, okay, those are the lifters that meet the qualifying totals. We want to compete. What can we do? And then I got told like, yeah, you can just create your own club. So I was like, okay, let's do that. It sounded like a lot of work to do and it surely is. It actually got to a point where we like we had enough members to to create an association like a non-profit uh, association and we uh, we talked back and forth with with the RPF president and uh, it ended up like the rules ended up 
getting changed in a way where it became financially impossible for us young lifters to create a club because you would need to have a training facility that's also big enough to host competitions or rent a facility to host competitions but you needed to have the training facility with IPF approved equipment and I'm not sure how familiar you are with Luxembourg and the rental prices but it's insanely high so we we weren't able to afford that and then in the end like even though we would have taken that risk then afterwards they would still need to vote us into the federation and yeah the the yeah that's 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 a process i i think you just have to pay like 50 bucks in the usapl and you're just a recognized club (laughs) (laughs) i think that's it yeah it's like TSA, game day, craft. Like I, I don't know. I there's probably a little bit more to that, but doesn't sound that hard. I because it sounds like you have to make a like create a gym actually, a facility where they can train. Yes. Yeah, like and that 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 would be insane. Actually, that leads me to like what would happen to the club or like just have these ideas. Like we're only allowed to compete in our state, and we have to compete at a gym in our state. Like how, how would how successful would lifters be in America if we were forced to do that? Like you can't you can't get coaching from te- like I'm originally from Illinois. You can't get coaching from someone in Texas, and you can only train in that gym. It's like how successful would certain lifters be, and probably not that successful. But it would just be fun to think about who would actually be good. Yeah, definitely. But I think in, in the United States, it would be less of a problem than in other countries because it's such a big yeah. country, you know. But uh, yeah, I think in Luxembourg, it's just easy to implement those rules because it is such a small country, so it's easier to control. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we're about 90 minutes into the podcast. Um, I would like to thank you for sharing all that stuff, and I think it's it was enlightening, but also you gave some really interesting takes there, really a good insight, but also showed uh, just passion for what you do, because it sounded like you legitimately, th- would this be fair, you legitimately moved to another nation for powerlifting, or is that another reason? No, I would say, like, yeah, definitely the, the biggest reason for moving to Belgium for me was that I could train with with people that support me with people that share the same passion and also yeah be able to compete in the future but the biggest reason was definitely for training because i was always always training alone whether that was in my own home gym for the longest amount of time or in in the gym in luxembourg and now i definitely see the changes like now i can definitely say that i know that your training environment really matters Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. It's something that I'm looking forward to every day. So I'm definitely way, way happier now where I am in Belgium. Well, if that's yeah. not a story that the sport is growing, I don't know what is, that you're willing to move another nation to just have a healthy training environment where you can enjoy yeah. coaching your profession and also competing. But um, Gabby, thank you for coming on Two White Lights. Um, it was a thank pleasure. You. Hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Yeah, it would be cool. All right, we'll yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Peace.